This is a test of the Boundary Park Alert System. I spend far too much time on Twitter, especially since this podcast. Um, I've always spent a lot of time on the hashtag OAFC, but it was on there the other day and I spotted an article James Reed had tweeted out that you'd written for Forbes.com and it was something to do with a research project that you'd done about loyalty, which you had linked to your support of Oldham Athletic. So I had a read of it and I thought it sounded interesting, sent you a message and asked you to come on the podcast and here you are. So welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Delighted to be on here. So you're an Oldham fan who lives and works in Reading, is that right, or down that way? I, uh, I work in Reading, I live in Didcot. And what do you do down there? Uh, I work at the university, I'm a professor of economics, and I, over the years, have done a lot more economics of sport, which has meant that I've ended up doing a few things that interest me from the, from the perspective of being an Oldham fan. I do a lot of kind of trying to predict match outcomes, but also a lot of other, a lot of other things. Um, you know, one of them was um, looking at the numbers of people that turn up at matches and thinking about the idea of loyalty and hence the article that you read. How long have you been a fan for? My first game, we drew one all with Wolves in 1990. And that was the game that meant that we couldn't make the playoffs. The game after the Wembley final. So that's now what, very nearly 30 years ago. Yeah, it is a long, it's 30 years ago, yeah. It is, yeah. (laughs) No nearly about it. No, it is 30 years ago. I was there as well. So yeah, long time. (laughs) I mean, I'm discovering from doing the podcast, there's Oldham fans dotted all over the place. What's great about the internet and what's great about Twitter, social media, is it connects us all back together again. I'm having conversations with people that I just never would have been able to have conversations with about Latics before. Yeah. So the topic that I invited you on to talk about was was the research that you did on loyalty. I was just going to think linking that back to social media, but maybe you can just give us a brief on what your project was first and then we'll come back to that later. In the last uh, six months or so, I, I got asked to write these blogs for, for Forbes based on the various sports economics things that I've been doing, uh, not least forecasting matches, but other bits of research as well. Um, and so the loyalty thing I wrote on Sunday because I was uh, feeling a bit naffed about um, the result against Morecambe. Uh, I, was, I mean, I was actually mostly annoyed because I'm with the kids and I should be, you know, being a, a good dad. And I'm getting more and more annoyed because I check the scores and we're losing 3-1 at home to Morecambe or we're losing 3-1 at home to Crawley or 3-0 away at Stevenage. And I'm, you know, I'm short-tempered. And you know, it's like, well, this, you know, th- th- this decision I made 30 years ago to support this team, you know, even if I want it not to bother me on a Saturday afternoon when we're getting beat again, it still does. You know, and so there's something there, there's something innate about that. You know, maybe it's an addiction, whatever it is, it has a real impact on moods, therefore decisions that you make. Um, and so basically I just wrote you know started writing and i've been doing some work with uh professor peter dalton he's at sussex university and his research he got these guys um who were using an app where the app will ping them on their phones at regular intervals to say you know how are you feeling you know you're in a good mood or a bad mood and they'll report back you know oh i'm seven out of ten or nine out of ten or something and they you know they then trace these guys to their particular football teams looked at what they were reporting for their moods in and around football matches. And what they found was that even when, you know, when you've won the game, you're still not as happy 
as you are annoyed or disappointed when you've lost the game. So they found that your mood increases. You know, these are the numbers that they found by this app and you know, thousands of fans. Your mood increases by 4%. If you wouldn't, it sounds quite low, but that, you know, that's, what, that's what they found. Whereas if you lose, you move down by 7%. That's a bit of research that they did, which you know, I could then you know, kind of think about and say, well, that's not why we're supporting these teams. And they, you know, when they finish their paper, they, they kind of say, well, look, this doesn't explain why football fans are as perversely loyal as they are. And you know, for, if you're a supporter of a team like, like Oldham, you know, we've had hardly any of those ups over the last 30 years, right? You know, I mean, we won promotion in, in 91 and <laughs> it's been steadily down ever since to, you know, I guess, you know, hopefully we've hit rock bottom, but, you know, you know, you don't even know necessarily whether that's the case at the moment. And so then, you know, the, the, the question is, well, maybe it's something different. Maybe it's, um, you know, something to do with the networks that you're involved with. You know, you travel to the game with your mates, you're at the game with your mates, took your away game, say, and even if you don't report those highs, you know, this is only an app where you're reporting your stuff. We all look back to certain games, right? One of the games I got to being down here in the South is I went to the Fulham game two years ago now. That almost feels like enough of a high to put up with at least a few home defeats to, to, to Macclesfield or Morecambe, you know, and teams like that. But yeah, basically, it, it's something that's a little bit ongoing. And actually, you, know, you, you mentioned Oldham fans being scattered around. I've recently started a different research project with another Oldham fan who works at University of Leeds. Um, and so with that, we're looking at how football match outcomes have been a little bit different because there's been no fans in the stadium. Um, and one of the explanations for that is, well, the referee doesn't get influenced by the fans anymore in the same way that the referee would do if there were fans in the stadium. And there's a spin-off for that because we both realise we're Oldham fans and there can't be many research projects around the world where there's two Oldham fans uh, involved. We started talking about loyalty. You know, why on earth is it that we, you know, we still get so annoyed about a defeat and we're still irrationally happy about when we win a game as well, for example. And he's a psychologist, so that's psychology. So that's thinking more about what's going on in, in the brain when you're making decisions. What are the triggers that affect things that you do and affect your moods? So that, I mean, that, that's basically the, the long story about the article. I don't, I don't think there's any simple explanation, but that's one of the beauties of research is that if there isn't a simple explanation, then you can set about doing a bit more research, thinking a bit more about it. And equally, you might say, well, what are these academics doing sat in their ivory towers thinking about fan loyalty when there's a pandemic out there, when there's a big recession taking place? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a valid question. But equally, you know, that, that this kind of a analysis helps us to make the argument, look how important football is. It's this important for the mood of the nation. There's a few of us Oldham fans getting annoyed about things. It's not just us, right? You know, Oldham is, to, to us, it's the, the most important football team in the world. But equally, I know fans of Chesterfield, for them, e- even worse the last few years, you know, in terms of their outcomes and where they are. Um, Stockport as well, of course. And then when you're looking at the current crisis with the EFL and with the bailout from the Premier League and so on, one of the big reasons for a bailout is that there's something more than just these companies, you know, the old athletic company, you know, whatever the, the underlying company is. Well, it's more than that. It's it's a social network. It's the fans getting together. It's it's fans doing things for others, you know, the community trust and things like that. There's so much more than just a bunch of players that turn out on a field on a Saturday afternoon. I'd argue there's a lot to be said for doing this kind of research, even if it does seem a little bit esoteric, perhaps. Well, I mean, I started off sort of the question talking about social media and you brought it back to social networks and... I think we're at a really, really interesting time in football, in society, where we have a very different perception and perspective on everything. 
we can really see things from different points of view and, and we can come together like we've never been able to before. And what's happening at Latics is at the moment we've come down off the highs that me and you had when we first went. Was, so you mentioned addiction before and not a common thing with addiction is you get a massive high initially and then you never get that high again. Well, if you started supporting Oldham during the late 80s and early 90s, that was the high that you got, and you've never had it again. You, you, you've, been, you've had Fulham and you've had a few little, you know, Liverpool and a few little moments where you've experienced yeah. the high, but, you know, that was happening week in, week out, and, and we've been chasing that high ever since. I can totally get where that analogy works, or maybe it's more than an analogy, who knows, but then you've got the whole social network thing where even now when there's no football on, but the, sorry, there's football on, but there's no fans at the ground, we're able to still connect. And I found through Twitter on a Saturday afternoon, I feel part of it, even though I'm in Dublin and I'm nowhere near it. And the goals are going in and things are happening in real time and we're all expressing our emotions one way or another. And it's brilliant. And what Push the Boundary are doing as a fan group is very much about loyalty and very much about research and data. And and, and I connected all that into that one. Sometimes you see when you're just looking through that one tweet you posted just kind of sort of encapsulated everything that mm. I felt was was going on at the minute. Do you know what I mean? So I think there is a lot of value in understanding what you're doing, and I'm sure some of the bigger clubs are doing a lot of this kind of research for themselves because they've got they can pay the people. But from a club like Oldham's point of view, with what Push the Boundary are doing and potentially what you are doing, and if we start to pull in resources and start thinking about the club in a different way, the community in a different way, how we fit into it all. And how we can all work together in a much different way. We, then we hopefully we can start taking the club forward rather than it just being about what Abdallah does yeah. and all the pressure being on him and what the trust does and all the pressure being on them. What do you think about how we might be able to actually pull something like that together and actually make it a really worthwhile project that takes the club and the town forward? Goodness, that's that's the kind of thing that I've always wanted to be able to do with my research, right? You know, so... I mean, if I go right back to when I was doing my PhD, what I kind of did as a bit of a side project was I looked at Oldham's attendances over the past 15, 20 years and did a little bit of an analysis of those to try and look at what was driving fans to turn out, um, you know, on a regular basis. So, I mean, right back at the start when I was, you know, starting off as a researcher, thinking about the football side of things and thinking about the things that, for better or worse, matter most to me. Um, so it's always been the thing that is most important to me is, is getting back to that. Now, with research in universities, you, I guess it's often characterised as being a little bit out of touch. And, you know, quite a lot of it can be um, because what you do is in the university, you know, you, you're given a little bit of that freedom to think about, well, OK, I've seen that happen and I've seen that happen. You know, what's the link? Why did that happen and then that happen? You know, I mean, for example... It's it's kind of quite hard to you've got to sit down and think a lot about it. But what is it about 1992 in the Premier League, and then you get to 2020 and Project Big Picture? One of the things that kind of got me a little bit frustrated about it was was that it was um, you know it's kind of masquerading. It's kind of this you know Liverpool and Man United you know supposedly appearing to be big-hearted and thinking about the good of the game, but. It struck it struck me as really being 1992 over again, where these clubs want to actually just break away. And so they make it sound like it's nice. Hey, here's your, here's your extra bit of cash down there at the bottom, you guys. You know, but actually, we want more of a say. We want base in the calendar so we can play more games in Europe. It's basically you know, so. like what? How? How? It's American billionaires. You don't get to be a billionaire without exploiting opportunities and exploiting <laughs> people. And it, it's the same as any other business. You've seen an opportunity, a weakness 
these people, <laughs> these clubs are down on the knees. If we make an offer now, which they seem to be, and it's actually pittance what they've offered, really. Oh yeah. You look yeah. at what the Premier League spend on on wages and on, on players. They've, yeah. And they'll dangle a little bit of a carrot. They'll see see what happens because of the economic situation. And they were just there ready to take over and monopolise like all businesses do whenever there's an economic opportunity. Thankfully, the Premier League clubs have, have, have boycotted the boycotted it, apparently, yeah. which I think was more of a political decision and maybe they're just trying to, you know, maybe they'll back off and wait for a, another opportunity or whatever. But, you know, American billionaires shouldn't be coming into into the English football and dictating what happens from well, I mean, the, I mean, the bottom. There's, yeah, I mean, there's, there's obviously, a, there's a bunch of sides to it, you know, and... One thing is, is that injection of uh, of money, or for better or worse, it's made the English game a very different game where you get some incredible players. You know what I mean? You think about how you know, much as it was great back in 92 when we were in the Premier League, the quality of football compared to the quality today, you know, the players, it's, it's a different stratosphere completely. And so that's that's something that's great. But equally, and this is where economists come in against what we do in, in, in the field of, of research is we think about these institutional structures. You compare something like the Premier League and how the, you know, the, there can be this influence of owners on important decisions being made relative to, say, the Bundesliga, where, as I understand it, you know, clubs have to be, what is it, 51% fan-owned? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can have these kinds of structures. It just you know, it involves some point collection decisions coming to a point where you have something in place where... You know, there's something that's more fan-oriented. And I do, I do suspect that we're going to end up moving towards that at some point. You know, it might be that the top six clubs, you know, these big six clubs eat themselves eventually by this, you know, detaching themselves from what potentially is, is the most important thing, which for much of football is actually that, that community. But to go back to your question, because uh, I, I distracted you by going on about Project Big, Big Picture, I, what we're doing in Reading is we're actually, do, we're actually trying to put together a football research centre you know, because we've got a bunch of folk from, you know, across different areas. There's folk in the business school, in economics, and then people um, in, in psychology and health and other parts of the university. You know, our, our common interest is, in, is is football, basically. And because we're in Reading, obviously, therefore, we've talked to the football club in Reading. We've done a few little projects with them. We've done a few projects with the local football association. All of this comes out of what I what I see is what the university or the university system offers, which is a lot of keenness and a lot of resource. Like what we do in economics is we play with massive amounts of data. Football generates massive amounts of data and enables you to say, was that a good choice or was that a bad choice? You know, there's a really obvious metric. Did you win the game or did you not win the game? You know, so it's a lot easier to make, you know, do a lot of analysis on that. And so I've always seen that. And, you know, we have students coming through, undergraduate students, postgrad students. By and large, all the, you know, all the, all the lads that come through, they, they love football and they want to do research. They want to do dissertations on football if they're given the opportunity. So we've always had this this resource and then you've got football clubs especially in the lower divisions so obviously Reading Football Club this season they're flying but last few years they haven't been flying you know and things have been a little bit you know uncertain for them um, but you know you go a little bit further down the, you know the system into League 1, League 2 and even some of the teams of course in the Championship you know you're on a threadbare existence and you can't afford to pay you know a consultant let alone somebody from a university to do to do some kind of some kind of research for you we in the universities, I think, you know, we, we like a lot of the time these kinds of esoteric questions, you know, well, why did that decision happen and so on. I think what drives a lot of us is having impact, you know, being able to say, hey, I did this bit of research and these guys made a different decision as a result. And so if, if I can be involved in some way in a set of projects, things that happen, such that the football club in Oldham 
is able to better engage with the fan base, you know, is able to better engage with the local community, you know, I'd be absolutely delighted to. You know, what we've looked at with, with, with Reading is we've looked at patterns in the sales of replica shirts, you know, so did, did a particular colour of shirt, style of shirt sell better? To what extent was it sensitive to the results on the pitch? And one of the questions I want to ask equally is conversely, did, 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 did any, any of these kit designs, types, colours, et cetera, did that have, actually have any impact on the field? And then also Reading, perhaps it's the, the location, lots of affluent people, they get a lot of folk that buy tickets for a game and don't show up. You know, it can be two, 3,000 people that don't show up to a game and they've bought a ticket. You know, and the question is, well, why is that happening? You want to know why people don't turn up because it might well mean that you end up playing a game on a miserable Tuesday night and the atmosphere is toxic rather than being supportive for the home team and you lose a game that you ought to have won, really. I think you made some really good points there in terms of fan engagement and what it is. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen yet, but I did an interview with Carl Evans, the new CEO. Yeah. And you hear a lot. You hear a lot about fan engagement. When Abdallah came in, you know, it's all about the fans. You know, you've got trust old, and we need to re-engage with fans. That's just a, a term, engage with fans. But actually, what is it? And it's really about understanding fans, understanding fans' behaviour, understanding fans' desires, needs, trends, like you say, all these different things. And you can only do that. And, and also. You mentioned about like Harry Kuehl, you know, a manager, he gets to the top of the game and probably very single-minded. He seems like a very single-minded individual, very much in his own thoughts. And the way he talks, seems very much Harry Kuehl-focused and what his train of thought is as opposed to other people that suggest that maybe Abdallah and Mo are in that kind of more single-minded, focused, kind of driven to succeed in their own vision without necessarily incorporating other people's visions and other people's needs into it. So I think from an olden point of view, what fan engagement is really is understanding that they don't know and understand all that. So they need to bring people in who can do that. And I think it's the same with the trust thing. And I think that's what is pushed the boundary have done really well is they understand that it's a numbers game. They have ideas about how the club, I have my own ideas and I've got all the, I could go in there tomorrow into boundary park and say, do this, 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 and this, and this will improve this, 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 and this. And it probably will, but I'll probably write loads of things down that the fan base as a whole don't want. It's just what I want. And it's yeah. so it's 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 getting that information and using that information. What do the majority of people want or not want? And and that's why I feel that this is an exciting time now with what's happening. There's always an opportunity when something goes bad to make something good of it. And I, and I think we're on the verge of that now and coming out of this. I'm hoping that fan engagement will mean that more fans want to work together, want to get involved in the club, want to offer their support, their services. There's a lot of really talented people, really clever, vibrant, interesting, engaging people that have Oldham Athletic in their heart and want to, would love to do something for the club and for the fans and for the town. And that's what I want this podcast to be, an opportunity to get someone like you on, who most of us have never even thought of someone like you exists and how you might be able to help. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why I think this is really exciting to be able to have conversations like this. And as you're talking, you're telling me these things, I'm thinking, oh, wow, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think you've, you know, you've got very much of the nail hit on the head there. There's a huge amount, I think, of untapped potential. Um, I think we've, you know, it's not the same parallel, but what we've found recently as a university down here in Reading is that, well, actually, 
the University of Reading kind of sits in Reading and there's, you know, there's no engagement with the community, but actually we do sit within communities. These communities do, do have a certain view of us as a university. You know, we, we've been trying to change that and say, well, hey, we're, we're a university for Reading, you know, trying to engage with, with, with folk nearby. The thing that I've been thinking a lot about recently is, you know, it's kind of a marketing economics kind of thing to say, but football clubs have got tremendous brand power. Oldham Athletic in the area. I mean, I, 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 you mentioned your, your podcast with, with Carl Evans and I was listening to it, you know, and you mentioned this, you know, the, the, the passion for the football club in the town. Yes, you know, you, you can say all sorts about, oh, look, there's only 3,000 fans turning up at the games, but actually that's incredible, right? You look at the kinds of results that we've had in the past 20 years, it's been two seasons aside, it's been absolutely crap. You know, yet you look at, because I, I do this, I look at the data, you had a big drop-off when we dropped from the Premier League down to League One, you know, and then you've got essentially flat since then. You might want the fan base, you know, the hardcore fans to be seven or 8,000, something like that. But it's, you know, it's still remarkable that with nothing, nothing to really drag fans along, they've still been going along in remarkable numbers for, you know, such a long period of time. You know, and that's not everybody that would go to a game if, if it was a bit cheaper, you know, if there were different things going on. I do think there's a huge amount of opportunity and the question really is is how you tap into it you talk very positively which is fantastic because i don't know when i when i type in the hashtag oafc on twitter i find most of it is very negative stuff which is understandable given the situation we're in so it's nice to you know it's good to see positivity i was actually encouraged listening to your podcast with carl because he does sound like a really down-to-earth grounded guy who knows how football clubs work He's been in ones obviously that have done bloody well at United, and he's done, you know, he's been in the situation at Barry, and so he knows again how it works within the local community. And so we've got to wait and see how things turn out, and if it's possible to 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 help play a role in that, you know, I'm going to be absolutely delighted to. I'm going to be all over that. If there's things that can be done there, be absolutely delighted to, because you know, if we do do that, it almost gets to the point where you know the results become less. They're still important, but they're not quite. You know, it's not quite so bad, you know. I mean, I almost think to myself, you know, if we ended up, you know, God forbid, ended up, you know, falling out of the football league, but we had a structure in place at the club by one means or another, such that fan engagement was much higher, such that, you know, as you say, the way in which communication was going to and from showed a level of understanding of where the fans were at and how the fans were wanting to engage with the club and how the fans were willing to do things and really keen just to see that level of transparency, openness inviting in to get involved in projects, be involved in discussions and stuff like that. It would be a lot better situation to, to, to fall into the conference, say, if that happened, rather than to fall into the conference, finding that, you know, in five games' time, Harry Chill gets sacked in seven games' time, you know, the, the CEO is out again as well, because we've had so much of this uncertainty over the past few years. You know, I think back to Paul Scholes arriving last year and thinking, you know, this is it. Paul Scholes is finally here. Things are going to go from strength to strength. And then he's gone within a month, you know. So, you know, there's so much of this stuff that goes on behind the scenes. You don't really know what's happened. You don't understand what's happened. You get frustrated because you don't really know what's happened. You think you've got an idea about what's happened, you know. And one of the things you get from that hashtag OAFC is a lot of genuine attempts to make sense of what's gone on, you know, because there's just a, a void of information there, a void of real engagement, I think. You know, it's been like a, there's been an, an avalanche or a snowball effect of, of negativity over the years, which is it, it's it's almost got to a you know critical mass kind of point. It's, it's it got so heavy, and 
what that's either going to do in terms of lo- the question of loyalty again, it's going to roll some people over and they're just going to be enough. And then what it's going to do to other people like myself, push the boundaries, certain other people is it's going to say, you know what, enough of this now. Positivity. We're gonna we're gonna change this. We're gonna things are gonna change. I'm not having this anymore. What I've noticed about being positive is it's infectious because I'm getting messages from people. You've inspired me again. I'm feeling positive about getting involved and we can do something about this going forward. Because that thing about loyalty, regardless of how disillusioned you are with the football, whether or not you go anymore, whether or not you listen to I follow or watch the games. If you're a fan and you've been a fan and you've been hooked, you're always going to check. The, you're always checking on the Saturday afternoon, three o'clock. You're checking the scores. You want to know. And when that last minute goal against you goes in, it really does piss you off and gets you down. <laughs> when that last minute goal goes in and you win the game, it really does pick you up because it's always there bubbling away under the surface. Really, everyone that's ever been involved, all they ever want is for that switch to be flicked back on again. And for there to be seven, eight thousand, nine thousand fans in Boundary Park, for Oden to be challenging at the top of League One for a chance to play, well, that's what we all want. Yeah, but we've all become so dr- smothered by this negativity over the years. It's just felt everyone's felt like this is our fate now, and we're mm. only going in one direction. And yet we are we're going in a downwards direction. But that has to change at some point. And I think there's this realization now that through social media, through technology, through communication platforms, we can we can mobilise and we can do something about it. I think it's really, really, really exciting. And I think the more tools we've got in our, and more weapons we've got in our armoury to do that, the yeah. better. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the main thing, right? It's being, it's being constructive, you know? And I think, you know, again, you've mentioned push the boundary in yourself. And it's one thing to say, well, oh, you know, stack the manager, you know, replace the owner. But... That leaves a void, right? Who's going to go in in place of it? What's the structure such that we're not going to get another owner the same as this owner? The important thing, and what I like about you talking about, you know, putting together projects, putting together ideas, thinking about things, thinking them through, how can we do this? What might we do? You know, it's constructive stuff. I'm really keen to get behind that kind of a thing. You know, definitely. Brilliant, because the more of us that are, are thinking like that, the more chance something's going to happen, something positive is going to come out of it. If the owner leaves, there's going to be a void. If the owner wants to stay, he really wants to stay, and he really wants to get the fans on board, he's going to have to open up dialogue with the people who want to, who are knocking on his, quite literally knocking on his door and saying, listen to us, we want to help you. But he's not doing that. So it's going to go one of, of, of either two ways. He's either going to do that or he's going to leave one way yeah. or another. But like you said earlier on, whoever comes in to replace him, we need to make ourselves, I keep, I'm going to keep saying this every week, we need to make ourselves a more investable proposition by showing potential investors, potential owners, potential buyers that they have a very, very strong fan base who want to make the club a success, who are willing to put money in, willing to put support behind it. And when the chips are down, are going to roll the sleeves up and get involved. That will make us infinitely more investable. Instead of blaming Abdullah for, for our problems, instead of blaming Simon Corney for our problems, why don't we look at ourselves and look at our own behaviour and say, what have you done? Turning up to Boundary Park every other Saturday is one of the things that you can do. We can't even do that at the minute. So maybe more, more than ever, you know, don't let your club just disappear and then, and then mourn about it on the hashtag or wherever. Do something about it. Get involved. Ask what you can do. Especially if you've, 
man, there's loads of people out there that have been thinking about these things, you know? I mean, I put it out there every week for people to get involved and get in touch and send me right, and people don't. Yeah, yeah. You know, come on, give us something to work with. Give us more information. Give us more data. Even the push the boundary, lads, they got 1,100 replies to the survey, which is brilliant. But why not 2,000? Why not 3,000? Why not 4,000? You know, yeah. why Why not more? Because there's more Oldham fans in the town. There's more Oldham fans in the country. There's more Oldham fans in the world than that. We've all got to do our bit to re-engage. I think that's it. And it's you've, you've got to make that statement. This is how much it matters to me before somebody sits up and notices. You know, it's a bit like, you know, the, the government could just simply allow the Football League to go to go bankrupt, you know, because, you know, with no money coming in, it's, it's going bankrupt any moment now. You know, no, no one's going to say, oh, this is something that we need to bail out. We need to make sure stays in place, its current structure, unless, you know, we say, well, look, this is how much I value my local football team. This is how much we, as Oldham fans, value Oldham Athletic. I've, I've said already, you know, it, it's sufficiently important to me for what, you know, I, I wouldn't want to try and explain how and why, but it's sufficiently important to me that it affects my mood on a Saturday when I'm supposed to be, you know, hanging out with the kids and being, you know, fun daddy. And then fun daddy one minute when we've equalised, bad mood daddy a minute later when we've gone 2-1 down kind of thing. You know, it's, it's something that matters. You know, one step is to say, well, you know, make that clear, you know, express that. And another step is actually, well, you know, to some extent, if it matters to us, we've got to reflect that in our choices. And I'm guilty of that. I've, I've, I've been to hardly any matches for a number of years. It's important for a lot of us to take that step and say, well, actually, hang on, I've got to change a few of my patterns here as well. You know, I've got to take a bit of responsibility for, you know, making sure that people realise how much Oldham Athletic is valued. There's an interesting um, dilemma at the moment, which is how do you support the club without supporting the regime? Because a lot of people, and, and it comes back to this question of loyalty again, what is loyalty? Who are you loyal to? You know, um, are you loyal to the name of Oldham Athletic? Once somebody buys that name of Oldham Athletic, are you loyal to them? Or is there a separation? Should I put my money into Oldham Athletic in order to keep it... To, to survive but if I do that I keep the current owner in place when I don't want the owner in place so that is a real that's something that is a real struggle now that people are people are trying to deal with um because it's like they're loyal but they their loyalties are are divided within themselves and it splits fans down the middle people are saying well just just contribute to the club put the money and keep it going and then others are saying I'm not putting another penny in so it's like who's the most loyal who's right in this situation I don't suppose you can answer that question uh, A, A or B, but I'm sure there's <laughs> answers to it one way or another. There, there are answers. You know, I mean, you know, going back to kind of, I guess, the premise for the in for the you know the, the podcast was thinking about you know research data, trying to understand things. And with that question, it really does. It's not something you can answer with data. It's a, it's an opinion, really. The thing you know is that Carl mentioned in his podcast with you. He said, "Well, look." We're not the Oldham Athletic we want to be relative to even when Andalla bought the club, but we still have a club that's in the Football League, at least, you know, for the next 41 games. Um, you know, we've still got that structure in place. You know, there's always worries that you know we'll lose that status. But equally, bring the numbers back in, we always start the season badly. I don't know if you noticed this, but we always start the season badly every single bloody year. So I'm hoping that it's just a bad start and we'll pick up again in you know the next month or two as we, as we usually do. For whoever owns it, you know, there's, there's, there's a distinction between who, you know, who owns the club and the club itself. Oldham Athletic is the club that we support. And at the moment, you know, somebody, Abdullah, has said, look, you know, I've got the backing. I want to own this club. I'm prepared to put in that, that financial sum. 
for whatever his gains are, whatever his motives are, you know, and there's all sorts of speculation out there about his motives, but he's put the money in. And the club still exists. We haven't gone the way that Barry went. And that's not just you know, to kind of blame anybody involved with any of these other clubs. It's just to make the point that it's not it's not some kind of profit-making opportunity to own a football club. It's not like people are waltzing in to, to, to make great profits out of owning a football club. It's an undertaking. It's something that you do for some other reason. You know, and maybe it is because you're a former agent, you know, and you've got network French fifth division players and so on. Whatever it might be, we still have a club in place to go back to what you're saying about being constructive and, and doing things. Well, you read about these things about people in the local area having the wealth, maybe being inclined to, to invest. That's one of the one of the positive things that can be done, right? You know, we start to, as you say, make make the Latics a, a positive proposition. You know, look, here's the community engagement that we've got. Here's here's the things that we do to make our town a better place. Here's why we're great. Here's why you want to invest in that and be a part of that. You know, rather than if a potential, potential investor goes on the Twitter and types hashtag OAFC, <laughs> he sees a lot of frustrated, very negative fans. I think that's the thing. I think I mean, it's, it's, it's my outlet to, to other Oldham fans in Oldham and around the world. But it's, it, sometimes you think it's, it's how everyone's thinking, but it's not because it's Twitter and there's a certain types of people who use Twitter and certain types of people who engage. And, you know, there's a whole different set of data behind Twitter users and football Twitter users, and you can, I'm sure you can sub-categorise it until the cows come on. But, you know, the town and the club are so vital for each other. That, for me, is another thing about this. With It's not just about football for me. It's not just about, maybe it's because I, because I live away now and I look back and I want to still contribute. You know, I see a lot of good people have left Oldham to, 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 to start lives elsewhere and a lot of people have stayed and, the town has a bad reputation, but I, I love it. I have a, a huge, huge, and again, different things because you're from Middleton, you're not from Oldham, but you, so the club means something to you in a different way than it does to me. And the town means something different to you than it does to me. And if one does well, the other does well. The town does well, the club does well, the club does well, the town does well. Invest it, we need to invest in both. Investment into the football club needs to mean investment into the town. Investment into the town means investment into the football club. This thing should be looked as a whole, as a whole thing. What else in Oldham can 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 get ten thousand people together in one place singing songs and and, and in, in that kind of harmony? There's nothing else really in the town that that can do that. It's for me, it's just kind of like Oldham as a town and as a football club now is it's 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 reached rock bottom or it's around about the rock bottom stage, and it's time to now say right, come on. We live in a really good economic area, right next to Manchester. I know that there's a lot of money going into Oldham. There's a 2035 plan, mm. hundreds of millions of pounds going into the town. I think it's a time to be positive about Oldham, not negative anymore. We're done with negative. Negative has served its purpose. Let's get rid of it. But when we're looking at the club, let's look at the town as a whole. Let's look at it as one big picture. <laughs> Back to the big picture, but not in the way that, that Liverpool and United want it. But do you know what I mean? There's, a lot, I mean, there's evidence out there right, regarding the, the link between how well a town does and how well its football team does. There's, there's, there's other bits, you know, for example, at the University of Reading got a boost in our numbers when Reading win the Premier League. So, you know, we kind of quite hope that they'll go up this season because that, that'll give us a boost in terms of students coming along because all of a sudden Reading's on the map. And Oldham was on the map in, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, it's still the case that if I tell somebody who I support of a certain age... You know, they'll know who Oldham is. If I tell someone in 
that's pulled them and they're less than 20 years old, well, there's no chance. They just think that's just some some other club. But, you know, they, they were on the map back then and that would have that would have made made big differences. And you know, one of the things to say about having these big plans for urban regeneration and so on, there's a risk that it becomes very soulless, right? You know, I mean, since I left Manchester, you know, the centre of Manchester has become a lot of these very tall blocks of apartments and to me it seems like in a lot of respect you know, they look quite nice in places but you know there's a lot, there's a lot of the soul of the town that, that, that's gone because a lot of the, the stuff that made it you know has been demolished the football club provides such a community f- hub you know for so many things that are potentially going on you know, i mean i still see it when i'm home there the, you know, the latix school of motoring i don't know if it's still actually linked to the football club but you know, that's one of the things that you can do. You can use your brand name to make a difference, to you know, to, to give people things that they want to choose to do. I learned to drive with old with Latic School of Motoring rather than you know this 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 other one, you know, from from Manchester or whatever. And I, I'm very much trying. I've always tried on Twitter not to get dragged into the nonsense debates and arguments and stuff like that. And I, I try to keep things positive and not relatively. I mean, you're a sport open. It's not. It's hard. <laughs> but like. Yeah, I think there's a lot of really good opportunities. And I think that, that we'll definitely keep this conversation going privately and maybe I'll be back on it. Uh, you know, we, maybe we can we can figure something out on, on and, and sort of like hone it down as to what you should do. And um, maybe we can get the fans involved in that. And I think you should definitely have a chat with Push the Boundary, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Their, their approach to, to, to data gathering and, and, and your expertise, I think, is a, is a perfect combination. I uh, really do. And, and I think that's what it's all about now. It's, we are we are older. We are older athletic. If we knit together and we pull our, all our skill sets together and we all start taking responsibility for what we're good at because we're all, we're all good at something. We all have a different yeah. skill. Maybe you just need somebody to actually do conduct that, pull it in the information of who can do what, what do you want to do, how do you want to contribute, what's your contribution going to be, and whatever that is, whether it's just, I'm going to go to the games, I'm going to buy this, this and this, or whatever it is, or what I would like to do that I can't currently do. That information would be fantastic because we would be able to see how fans want to engage rather than just saying fan engagement. You know what I mean? So that that sounds like a good research project in itself. No, it does. Absolutely. It ticks all the boxes, basically. So, you know, very keen to have all these kinds of conversations. And if, you know, if you're able to via the podcast, start pulling folk together, I'm very keen to be a part of that. Great. Yeah, that's all I want. That's all, that's all I want from this. I mean, I, I've got enough to say, but I don't think people are going to keep listening and it's just me yapping on every every <laughs> week. So the more the more voices, the more points of view and the more interesting people I can get on, the better. And I'm very much, it's very much about that positive going forward. People are constantly saying, why don't you get such and such on and such and such on and, you know, talk about this, that and the other that's happened in the past. Well, it's happened now. I don't really care about that. You know, we've had all these negative experiences. We don't want to keep reliving them over and over again. We want to look for opportunities and we want to look for positive outcomes. And those are the avenues that we want to explore, I think. Uh, one of the conversations we had with this football research centre we're putting together with, with some guys at Brentford Football Club, you know, and that's a fantastic example of guys in the community coming together. Obviously, they've had a big backer, but, you know, the way that they've gone about doing everything, you know, they've brought a lot of the, you know, kind of the, you know, think very seriously about all the decisions that you make. Just think very carefully, you know, don't be afraid to do things that are a bit different. And maybe take on board some of the research that people have done. You know, they were saying that what they often do, a bunch of the guys that are in charge of the decision-making is, you know, 
this go in the literature on behavioral sciences and so on to kind of get a sense of, you know, well, can we get an edge here? Can we get an edge there? And that's what, before the drug scandals and everything else, that's what British Cycling was doing, right? You know, they got themselves into a better position by saying, well, can we improve everything by 1%? I think if you look at all the things that you do and say, well, can we improve things by 1%, one way in which you do that is you do a bit of research, you gather the data, you you get somebody to analyse it, you know, and that that's where I see my my role coming in is, you know, I've got a lot of experience playing around with data, doing research, understanding the patterns. And I'm been a lax fan the last 30 years and seen it just, you know, everything going down, you know. So why can't we try and start to see if we can influence things such that we are starting to make the kinds of decisions that turn that around and make sure that this is the bottom, you know, that we are now starting to turn the corner. Totally, because in terms of the actual staffing of the club, the numbers have never been smaller. You know, they're running the club on a skeleton staff. So yeah. to expect great results from that and for them to be able to explore these kind of avenues themselves, it's impossible. We can't expect that of them. They're doing what they can what they can to keep the club going, the bare minimum. Exactly. And, and the, 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 the skeleton them. staff. So yeah. again, it comes back to this question of loyalty. Do people want to support the current regime by offering the time and their support? I don't think we need to. We, we've got trust all them. I'm, I'm really hoping that they're going to come on the podcast within the next week or two. I know that push the boundary. I think they're speaking to them tonight, Thursday, because they need to be the ones that say, look, they need to open up and say, bring it on, give it to us. How do you want to get, you know, we need, because we need to, we can all contribute to Trust Holding, but Push Trust Holding have done such a bad job of maintaining communication and engagement over time that they need to be back. So we've got the trust and the club that both really need to sort of almost press restart. And it's, it's kind of a question of who does it first really, in terms of who gets the fans back on board. But I think the trust can do it quicker and easier if they engage and push the boundary, if they ask the fans, what do you want? How do you want to get involved? And then give the fans the opportunity to say, right, yes, we want to get involved. And hopefully enough people are going to do that. And I don't think it has to be that many. It just has to be a a group of the right people who really want to get involved. And then say, I'm going to do that role. I'm going to do that role. I'm going to do that role. The next thing, you know, we've got a team of people pulling together like, data and information doing this and doing that for the club as long as all the right information is coming together and it's, it can be used by if the trust have got it in their army or push the boundary have got it in their army in the club and when there's this big standoff and it's like but look we've got this information it's going to get used are you yeah. going to use it are you going to use it who's going to back down first but <laughs> the, the the point is it needs to be done yeah and i mean you know the other point of course is that for whatever for whatever reason, we've got into a situation where there is this level of dis, disagreement, disenchantment between these different groups, and we all obviously shouldn't, you know, we should be pushing in the same direction, right? That's I think that's the, that's probably the biggest basis for all of this, right? We all want a successful football club. We all want Oldham to be doing a lot better than it is. You know, I mean, we you know, we got to the point. You know, I mean, again, going back to your podcast with Carl, you know, he was saying he was somewhat thankful that we didn't all say we want to be back in the Premier League. You know, of course we do, but. I'm sure, you know, I share it with you, you know, it'd be nice just to be back, you know, doing okay in League One. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, it wasn't spectacular, but it was a lot better than being bumbled on the bottom of the of League Two. You know, it's much more of a precarious existence. What we, you know, and I think what we clearly need to get there is we need all the groups involved with the club to be pushing in the same direction. That's the, that's the real first step, I think, is to try and get, get that happening. And I'm someone that sat down here in Didcot in the southeast of England. You know, it's not, not like I, I can sit here and say, oh, you should have been doing that and you could have done this better. But if there is things that I can do 
to help out with the different groups and think about things and you know and, and contribute the skill set that I've got. And if we can all start doing that, I guess then we can start to see about you know maybe things can start to move back up a little bit again. I'm sure they can, and I think it's got to that point where if you've got nothing positive to say, don't say anything at all. I think that would really really help. Let the people who are prepared to who are positive and who want to affect change and want to do something, let them have a conversation. If all you're going to do is come in and be cynical and, and, and slag everybody off and slag everybody off, slag the people off that are trying, then you're not bringing anything to the... You're, not, you're just one of those main stand mourners who sits there and mourns for 90 minutes. You know what I mean? And never claps and never says anything positive. And, and there's been a lot of that in Boundary Park over the years as well. You know, it's, it's, it's been a tough place to play football as an older player. It's been a yeah. tough place to, to support your team as a fan because that the whole negativity is it's been all encompassing. Yeah. So that is for me now, that is done. I'm done with that. Forget it. I'd rather some of those fans don't come to the game anymore. I'd rather they don't contribute. Wipe your hands of it and go away. Because that's not what we need anymore. We need positivity. We need action and we need energy. I think yeah, absolutely. I mean the one the one thing I would probably add to that is that Twitter lends itself to negativity. Because there's anyone can go on there, can say whatever they like. You know, they're not, you know, they're hidden behind an anonymity. You know, they haven't got to reveal who they are. They may even not even be fans, right? You know, some of them are just there just to, to have a bit of fun, you know, wind a few people up. Yeah. Twitter's not, yeah, I, I have to remind myself whenever I'm on there, you know, searching for news on the Latics is that that's not the only source of opinion on what the football club is at. Uh, it can also be a wonderful place though it can be I remember we played when we played Chesterfield uh, mm. a couple of years ago and Peter Clark scored that last That's, minute yeah, header yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was the it was the best feeling I've had being a football fan sat on my own couch not watching the game <laughs> and but feeling in, so involved in that moment people that were at yeah. the game like uploading pictures really straight away of the goal and of the scenes in the crowd and just the just the joy that, that, that came about from, from that. It was really, really was fantastic. So I totally agree with you about what Twitter can be in, in, yeah. in that, but it can also be something else. And I think it's about what we bring to it because the more positive people there are on Twitter, the small, those negative voices will just start, like you said, sometimes they're just there for the attention. If they're not getting that attention and we're not, we're not fueling it, we're not feeding it, it'll go. But equally, you can give folks something to grab hold of as well, right? You give, you know, you're a very positive person, which is fantastic, and you can give folk a positive spin on things. You can look at the same set of facts and you can interpret it very negatively. But equally, you know, you can interpret things positively. The only way is up. I'm not totally convinced about that, but you know, <laughs> you know things could still go worse. But yeah, you have to think that you know things can only get better, at least for the next. You know, however many games you know and that's you know, it is a little bit about again offering you know it's being constructive and it's offering something positive as well and you probably get you probably get grief for that right you probably get called a happy clapper and things like that i've actually not got that much grief yet which I've, I've, I've said on, i said on last post but i'm ready for it because it will come at some point um it doesn't bother me if it does but i think you said that your mate up at Leeds, who's the other older fan? He's a psych- psychiatrist or psychologist? Did you psychologist. Say? So yeah, I, feel well, I think I, I think that is something that, that would be interesting to talk to him about in terms of the olden psyche <laughs> and what that has been and why it has been as it has been and how we change it. Yeah. Because we have to go from a negative mindset to a positive mindset. Yeah. 
And I don't believe that, see, Harry Kewell is banging on about positivity all the time. Positivity has to be balanced with realism, you know? Just being positive for the sake of being positive is as useless as being negative for the sake of being negative. To be positive about what's positive, be realistic about what's negative. I think that's as, as good a balance as you'll get, really. But the Oldham psyche needs to, does need to shift a few notches towards the positive and away from the negative, because we're done with that now. We're done with it. We've, we're all bored to tears <laughs> of all that, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've nearly come to blows in, 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 in Boundary Park with Oldham fans. Probably nearly had more fights with Oldham fans than I've had with away fans. And I'm, and I, and I'm a bit of a gobshite when I go away from home, so I've had a few run-ins here and there as well, and I've had a few beers. But Because I will not sit there with someone ruining my afternoon by droning on and bleating on and being negative about everything. Yeah, yeah. What's the point of you being here as a supporter? You're just making life difficult for everybody. Yeah, it really got me down for quite a long time, though, actually. And mm. I think that's probably why I'm responding the way I am in some respects. It's like I've had enough of that now and I'm challenging it on a bigger level than just turning around and talking to that one person. You know. Well, I think it takes, it takes something to, to jolt you out of the, the system, right? Because I took... My daughter, who's now seven, so I took her two years ago to Forest Green, the first away game of the season in League Two. Mm. And at half time, there was, you know, because we were down on a little terrace where the, the players went down and we were losing 1 0. And there was a guy above, there's this little seating area above, and he was just launching into this, you know, enter all the players, effing and blinding, loud, negative. My daughter was actually genuinely upset in tears by this, you know, and I was. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, because I've been going along to Latix for 20 years, you know, 30 years now, actually. And I guess I get used to it. You know, mm-hmm. well, okay, there's, there's always going to be someone that's going to do that. But, you know, having my daughter there, seeing this for the first time, I'm thinking, why is this person doing this? You know, it jolts you out of thinking, well, yeah, you know, that, that isn't right. That kind of thing shouldn't be happening. But then, again, you know, how do you go about changing that? You can't just say, oh, you be positive. Yeah, that's not, that's not how you get them to be positive. It turns out the way in which it was fixed at the at Forest Green was that the steward threw him out. He got a warning by the steward, he carried on, and the steward threw him out in the second half. I suspect he's still negative to the day, right? Because I still don't think it, it sold it for my daughter. She didn't have this loud person behind her shouting and scaring her. You know, next week he'd have still been, you know, just as negative um, and just as loud. And, not, and people will always say, look, I'm entitled to my own opinion, I pay my money. And that's all perfectly legitimate. But at the same time, it's perfectly legitimate and reasonable to, to, to counter that behaviour and say, you know what, in any other environment, it probably wouldn't be tolerated. You're always going to get on. We've all done it. We've all got on players' backs. We've all moaned and groaned and sighed. There must be, as a professional, there must be no worse sound or feeling that, than that groan that everyone lets out when you make a mistake. You make a mistake and the, just the sound of, Four or five thousand people going, oh, it yeah. must hit you in the stomach. It really must. Like you, you know, you've made the mistake when everyone else tells you you made a mistake. Yeah, oh, you're at work that. doing your doing your job, like, and and even that whole side of things. I know the players will at the better clubs and not the better clubs, but the clubs with more money will probably get that psycho that, that, that psychological kind of training and and, and get taught to dealt to deal with that. I mean, it's even worse if. If there's sixty thousand people doing it, then, then if there's five thousand people doing it. But yeah, you know, there's a, there's there's a lot more science. We live in it's 2020. You know, you come in and on my room being very white, and it's a bit clockwork orange in this room. It's 2020. It's the future. You know, we're not. It's not 1992 anymore. 
you know, and you don't want to take the soul out of things. Like, you know, the more spanking, swanky Manchester City Centre gets, the less chances you are of, of a joy division or a new order or a happy Mondays coming out of it because yep. it's yep. roughness and it's edge and it's spirit is what made it. People say, why is there so much good music out of Manchester? I always used to say, because it's a shithole. Exactly. <laughs> and no, people no, strive no. to want to get out of it and it, it fuels art and it fuels escapism and all this kind of stuff. So it's going to get you're going to get less and less of that kind of type of genius coming out. Of, you'll get different types of genius coming out of Manchester, but you'll get less of yeah. that type of genius coming out of Manchester. It's going to take time and it's going to take thought and it's going to take science and it's going to take data. But it's got all that can be done. People like you who've had the expertise can do it, and then it needs to be repackaged and rebranded and resold to people yep. in a, in a more palatable way, in Absolutely. a way that makes sense as to why. You need to do these things, and yeah. I think that I think challenge the people that are that are, that are being needlessly negative and and, and that are ruining everyone's experience in the stand. Challenge them one on one, but the big picture is let's try and get it to the point where there is none of that anyway. We don't need that anymore. Well, I mean, there's there's all sorts of things to say there, right? I mean, the the first one is that you know, yes, you got your right to your opinion, you paid your money to go to the game, but you've got a responsibility as well, you know, in in sharing that opinion to think about what is the impact of you sharing those words at that volume. And um, but then, I mean, just kind of thinking more broadly than that, you know, there is there are ways in which you know you might think about you know looking at exactly what the impact of that is. You know, you 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 can take you can take measurements. You can. Now with with Twitter, social media data, there's lots of research that goes on with that, looking at the kinds of words that are used and the impact that they have. You know, the same is true in the football ground. You, you know, you, you you can take measurements of the sound volume, different parts of the stadium, different types of sounds. You know, and you can look at what happens on the field. There are all sorts of things that you can do in terms of the technology that exists now alongside the science. You know, there's all sorts of things that that can be done, you know, I mean, this is kind of a little, a little bit like my, my wish list of things that we could measure, because then you could start to look at, you know, the impact of that, that roar that the crowd makes, you know, that, that noise just for kickoff, right, you know, just, just for kickoff, there's that kind of, God, all them, kind of noise, you know, I mean, that, that's got to have an effect, right, you know, it's got to have an effect on players, because players are human, humans react, we react to social pressure, to social settings, and um, there's all sorts of things, you know, that we, that we can do, and, you know, I, I think, delighted to be part of the conversation really and see what kinds of things that we can all contribute i think every time i have a comment it's like every time we have a conversation every paragraph every new thing that, that someone says sparks something else in my head about like even when you mentioned that about ranger park about just before the game i'm thinking now when you talk about match day experience getting a whiteboard and writing boundary park match day experience in the middle and then writing all the things that come off it all the different things that come off it that, that make that match experience, all the things that give you the butterflies in the stomach, all the, the sounds, the smells, the, the way things work within the ground, uh, just everything, all the potential, the things that are happening, the things that aren't happening, the things that should be happening, things that shouldn't be happening. So many different points that need to be met to ensure that that match experience is bang on and and i don't want it to be too clinical about it a lot of it has to be organic which means you have to give it the the room for that to happen but at the end of the day what you need is you need the basics are lots of people in the ground the music that they play you know so 
where the funds are, the situation of the funds, what's available for them to buy, the sounds, the smell, or just the basic stuff. But the the, the kind of buzz you will you'll remember walking down Chadwick and Way and Sheep Lane when it was shoulder to shoulder, and the floodlights were on, and we were it was a cup night, and there was about nearly twenty thousand people making their way towards Boundary Park, and the, the excitement of that, like I feel it. Tell me now, it was just incredible. Yeah. You you square that up against going into a League One, League Two. Choosing that game against Yorville Town, you know, it's chalk and cheese, isn't it? Exactly. So no one's going to ever suggest that a Tuesday night league match against a team from 300 miles away is going to live up to the heady days of yeah, you know, yeah. Aston Villa in the quarterfinal of the Cup or whatever. Yeah. But how can you ensure that every single home game at Boundary Park has an essence of it and that the most number of people possible are going to it? And regardless of the result and the performance, they still want to, going to want to come back to the next one. And making sure that that is the absolute driving force of yeah. the, you know, of the club, that, 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 they're, that they're just compelling those people to come back. And that's what needs to happen because we've lost that. And that, that's what, you know, that makes the point really clear that that's, that's what we all want, right? The football club wants more fans in the stadium making more noise thinking I want to come back again next week and do this again, rather than thinking, oh, this is crap, this is a waste of my money, I'm not coming back in, or I'm not even going to turn up. You know, and we want that as fans. Crush the Boundary wants that as fans. You know, the Trust wants that as fans. You know, we're all fans, we all want that. Yeah. You know, so that, 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 that's, that's something that's really concrete to grab hold of, is, is how, how do you make that change? How do, you know, what kinds of things are going to make that difference? And part of that is going to be this dialogue, this talking amongst each other, you know, this kind of getting past whatever's happened that's led to different groups arguing about things and saying, well, look, what is it about being at a game that makes it that experience that we all want to experience you know, as much as we possibly can? It's a little bit of a, of a President Kennedy moment, though, as well, I think. That's not what your country can do for you, or that's not what your club can do for you, but what you can do for your club. Yeah. Yeah. But we have to be clever now. This is a it is a time for brains, it's a time for creativity, it's a time for thinking out of the box and all those kind of terms. Um, because it's unprecedented. And it's a time for investment of time as well, right? You know, none of these things are gonna happen without any effort. Now for a good two, three years I've been writing stuff, you know, I've been predicting olden game outcomes and you know, I've been writing bits and bobs here and there. It's an investment to get any attention on that. You know, you can't just put it on Twitter and everyone will notice. You've got to keep banging that drum. You've got to keep refreshing the content, writing something new. You've got to think about, well, why is it people aren't, aren't reacting to that? You know, it's it's a significant investment of time and effort as well. Oh, t- listen, this podcast is taking up absolutely, <laughs> well, it's like a full-time job in itself. It is. And, yeah. you know, it's proving to be like a really, really positive thing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Really positive thing in my life, so... Just got to keep keep doing it and hope that more people want to do the same in their own way. Well, keep it up. Doing a great job. I will. Nice one. Great. Thanks a lot then. Hey, James. Yeah, Cheers. good to talk to you. Good to meet you. Likewise. All the best. The Boundary Park Alert System is a Studio 6 production. It's hosted, edited and mixed by me, Matt Dean. You can contact me on Twitter at DublinOAFC and the show on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at OAFC Podcast. Our email is bpalertsystem at gmail.com for all your voice messages. And please, if you like the show, do review and subscribe on whichever platform you listen. 
If you'd like to know more about Push the Boundary, you can visit their website pushtheboundary.co.uk and follow them on Twitter at ptb underscore oafc. The title music for the show is by DJ and producer Starion and you can visit redlaserrecords.bandcamp.com for more information. Thanks for listening.